3: Allsvenska Sirius skakas av en dopningsskandal. Målvakten Joshua Wicks testades positivt för dopning efter premiären mot Hammarby. Han hade spår av kokain i brinet. Uppsala lagets första målvakt kommer nu att lämna klubben.
4: Även om diskussionen om doping förekommer inom fotboll kan blåsa upp med jämna mällaren. Som exempelvis i samband med Sirius-målvakten Joshua Wicks avstängning förra våren Så har den egentligen haft svårt att få rejält fäste i en fotbollsvärld som länge menat att doping inte är ett större problem inom fotboll. Då det inte ger utöver en tillräckligt stora fördelar. Just fallet Wicks är väl på något sätt ett sådant med tanke på att han tog kokain och därmed inte för att bli bättre på fotboll. Möjligen har också dopingaffärerna därför varit få inom fotbollen. Men de senaste åren har allt fler pekat på att det möjligtvis är en bristfällig provtagning och ett rätt dåligt samarbete mellan fotbollens organ FIFA och antidopingbyrån WADA som gjort att inte fler fotbollsspelare kontrollerats och möjligen då också avslöjats som dopade. Dagens proddgäst, den tyske journalisten Heio Zeppelt, har gjort en rad stora dopingavslöjande de senaste åren. Och han ger inte så mycket för myten att fotbollsspelare inte skulle
3: gynnas av doping. It's very easy because you need power and endurance. If you have for example in minute 90 of 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 a soccer or football game, you need to run from the midfield to 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 the penalty area. You need to run very fast. People who claim that doping has no effect in in footballs they have no idea.
4: Josepelt har bevakat doping i över tio år och jobbat för tyska ARD och släppt böcker, dokumentärer och nyhetsinslag och verkligen skakat om i idrottsvärlden och bidragit till både avstängningar och mycket uppmärksamhet. Han ifrågasätter om internationella olympiska kommittén, FIFA och andra stora organisationer, förbund och klubbar verkligen är så speciellt intresserade av att ta reda på hur det egentligen ligger till
3: med doping inom idrotten. If you see that, let's say that chain of dependencies, I would say at the bottom line there is no real interest by by federations for decades to, to challenge doping seriously. The best thing for them is to avoid the public debate about doping. That helps and that is a win-win situation for everybody.
4: Ajaxeppelt var en av dem som om den riska idrotten med rad avslöjanden gällande doping. Och frågan har återigen aktualiserats under hösten med tanke på att vissa data som lämnats från den ryska antidopingorganisationen till WADA visat sig vara manipulerade. Och WADA nu flaggat för att man kan komma med en rekommendation att Ryssland inte ska få vara med i OS i Tokyo nästa sommar och kanske att man inte heller får några mästerskap vilket skulle kunna få konsekvenser för UEFA och sommars EM slutspel där flera matcher ska spelas i Sankt Petersburg
3: with respect to the whereabouts är completely clear that if they say that um, the exclusion from Russia är host for big events eh från from WADA then if I for example has to decide what they will do and they will come under enormous pressure i imagine
4: utöver detta pratar vi om Hans Åsland som ledde till att två riskabla spelare lämnas utan för vem truppen inför VM hemma VM 2018 om varför Ryssland portade honom från VM 2018 och varför han sen inte vågade åka dit när han väl fått utviset Och vad han tycker om Sveriges svansföring i dopingfrågan? Och vad som krävs för att frågan ska hamna ännu högre på dagordningen? Och dessutom ger han sin syn på sportjournalistiken och vad som krävs av framtida sportjournalister. Men vi börjar som vanligt på den med en faktaut. H? fifty
3: six. Where do you live? In Berlin. Family? No. Education. I did my uh, Abitur in German between my school exam, then I went to university for a couple of years, but then I stopped and became a journalist. Was twenty one. Salary? Yes, I have a salary. Car? Um, I have a BMW. Hobbies? Um, I like to go to sauna. I like to go to the movies regularly. I have a dog, and uh, I like to meet with friends. I go. Uh, regulated restaurants. I like fine dining. So,
4: what languages do you speak?
3: I speak German, as you can imagine. English, more or less fluently. A little French, and I understand Spanish and Italian.
4: Which is your favorite sport, and why?
3: To be honest, I'm not a sport fan, so um, I'm not uh, watching sports on television. Regularly, but I don't, um, or I do it just for professional reasons. But if I'm watching, because, um, for example, when I'm at the Olympics, and I need to, do the best is athletics.
4: Which uh, sport did you do as a young? I was a swimmer. What was the biggest triumph?
3: Um, which is a funny thing. I I was living in West Berlin, and I'm born 63. And we had youth championships, and every uh, year of birth counted in the competition. So uh, when I was 18, I had um, three um, competitions, three um, finals: 100 meter breaststroke, 200 meter breaststroke, and 200 IM. And I became three times West Berlin champion for the year 1963. But the bad thing is that um, in two of the three competitions I had no competitor at all.
4: (laughs) (laughs) But still, you could only win. Uh, Which is the biggest experience you've had
3: uh, with sports? The best experience? um, I think uh, sports is a cultural good. So, um, I did marathon running, uh, but not as a professional, as an amateur, uh, in the early 2000 years Um, and um, I did that more or less also for television because they accompanied me for half a year to to show my preparation as a regular, normal person, becoming a marathon runner for half a year, training, practice, medical support, whatever, no doping, by the way, (laughs) and... um, Yes, it was a very interesting experience, but a m- much better one was when, when I was running the marathon. Uh, it was a Berlin marathon and the crowd was huge and it was really um, very um, exciting to do that. Uh, but. My experience came afterwards, because I, I thought that um, if I'm able to run, and it's so easy to uh, prepare in half a year, why shouldn't I ask other people to do the same? So we invented, a, let's say, a runner's movement in, in Berlin, and um, and we presented it also on television and radio, and I was more or less a key figure, let's say, it this way. And we motivated the people to run and um, and, um, in um, collaboration with a uh, Berlin-based club we invited people to run and every weekend we had 500 maybe more sometimes, uh, sometimes less people running with us together through the heart of Berlin and this was not for competition, this was not um, for winning, this was just for the cultural good of sports. And it was mo- very, very motivating to see all the people uh, getting excited because of just simply running. Which uh, leader
4: in sports do you admire? Currently I don't know anybody who I would admire. Which uh,
3: media's covering sports do you uh, read or watch? As I said, I'm not watching television, uh, sports and television, so I'm not so much interested, so there's no favorite. What was your best subject in school? Um, I was good in French, by the way. (laughs) Uh, Not very good, but uh, uh, decent, on a decent level maybe. Um, I was always interested in politics and history, so this has, has been my favorite.
4: Which has been your toughest crisis?
3: Uh, in my in my life, yes, I was not always in a very healthy condition. Not always, but I don't want to talk about it publicly. But now, at least, I hope I'm healthy and everything is fine.
4: When was the latest time you were really happy? With my dog, just a couple of days ago. Uh, when did you cry last time?
3: In the movies. I'm a very emotional person, so sometimes it happens that I'm. I begin to cry when I'm in the in cinema and I see very emotional moments. Which talent would you like to have? I would like to cook and I would like to play the piano.
4: Cyprus nil, Russia 5. And there is the full-time whistle and Russia can celebrate... Taking their place at UEFA Euro 2020. Ryssland blev tidigt klart för sommarens em och man har ju dessutom matcher hemma i Sankt Petersburg. Men fjordårets VM-världar ska kanske inte jula riktigt än. veckan kom nämligen uppgifter om att det internationella dopingkontrollorganet VADA- På nytt kan komma med en rekommendation att ryska idrottar bör stängas av från idrott och att då Ryssland kan fråntas rätten att arrangera mästerskap. En rekommendation som förvisso inte är tvingande men som ändå kommer sätta press på UEFA inför sommarens EM-slutspel. Lately, we, you've had uh, information about Russia and manipulating data concerning doping, and now it's talk about missing the Olympics in uh, Tokyo, and even the Euros to 2020 in, in football. What do you think will happen?
3: I simply don't know f- for sure what is the recommendation by the WADA Compliance Review Committee for the WADA ex- Executive Committee, which will... Meet next uh, in the next couple of weeks on the 9th of New December in Paris. Um, but having in mind that it was already said publicly and has never been uh, successfully challenged by the Russians, from what I heard, we have to expect that there will a strong recommendation will be made by the uh, compliance review committee. And if it's really on a, on a really huge or, or um, varying level of manipulation and uh, deletion of, of uh, lab data, I can very well imagine that um, they will ask for um, the worst punishment, which is a ban for athletes from big competitions, which would include the Olympic Games. So it's... Uh, on the horizon currently that we can expect that a recommendation will be made to exclude Russia from the Tokyo Olympics.
4: What do you think about the European Championship in football?
3: That is a different thing because it's not a must, it's a can rule. So I wouldn't expect uh, for now that this will really happen. But uh, there's another option that uh, in in the catalogue of possible sanctions, that um, Russia has not the right to host big events. and That means also to host uh, the UEFA of European Championships. That means St. Petersburg, for example, might be dropped at a later stage, but this is, as I said, a can and not a must. Uh, what is it that the, the Russians have done? Maybe I have to add this this rule comes from UEFA, so there's a different thing. We have to see the WADA rules and we have to see the UEFA rules, so a little bit complicated. Um, but with respect uh, to the WADA rules, it's completely clear that if they say that um, uh, the exclusion from Russia as host for big events uh, comes from WADA, then UEFA, for example, has to decide what they will do and they will come under enormous pressure, I can imagine. Uh,
4: These uh, accusations against the Russians, what have they done?
3: It looks like that, according to the news I have and the information I have, that uh, data which have been uh, provided to WADA as one of the um, preconditions for reinstatement um, um, uh, have been manipulated, have been at least changed in a way which is not explainable for the water experts. And they have been able to, to check and to compare their information with the information they received from Russia. And obviously, in the lab data, there have been manipulations, there have been deletions, and maybe even worse. And um, they could compare different, let's say, images or, or um, data. they aren't aware of or are in possession of and there have been really dramatic changes what I heard we talk about maybe even more more than thousand or even more uh, um, changes and these changes are related to athletes that means there is a high suspicion that these manipulations have been done in order to to cover up doping cases from uh, Russian athletes.
4: How old are these uh I mean, these data? The, the data,
3: uh, they are from 2012 to 2015.
4: How was this discovered?
3: Um, there was a big discussion going on for years about should Rosada, the Russian Anti-Doping Agency, uh, be, um, should be suspended or not. And then uh, they lifted the suspension in 2018, but they had one precondition, uh, uh, one important precondition among others and this precondition was Russia has to provide these lab data until the end of 2018. They didn't, they failed in December 2018, but then later, two weeks later, they they provided the data <coughs> to WADA after enormous pressure coming from other um, people in the anti-doping community worldwide. Um, and these, the, uh, to provide this data, this was one requirement in order to To keep um, the um, um, uh, compliance from Rosada, which was um, was, which was given to them um, or was granted to them in uh, in September 2018, and uh, yeah, now we have the data. But it was not only about providing the data. It was clear that they have to provide authentic data, (laughs) and now it looks like that they are not authentic, and that means it looks like that they tried to cheat again. And if that is the case, that is a really, really serious break of the conditions. And um, uh, from my point of view, if that happens, there is only one answer, one strong answer, uh, the uh, needed consequence, which means they have to get sanctioned or they have to at least get punished in a very serious way. Otherwise, WADA would uh, lose a lot of trust in the public domain again.
4: Who do you think is responsible for this manipulation?
3: We simply don't know. Um, I cannot imagine that Rusada itself is responsible because uh, from a technical and legal um, perspective, it's simply not possible that they have been in charge of this data because they have not the authority, they have not um, the competence, they have not, by legal terms, they have not the access these data, how can they manipulate them? It doesn't make any sense. So this manipulation must come from other parties in Russia and having in mind and uh, remembering what happened in 2014 at the Sochi Olympics where the FSB, that means uh, um, um, secret service, the Russian secret service within the country uh, was manipulating uh, the process of doping (coughs) controls in, in Sochi 2014. There might be explanation also for nowadays that they have been involved. Why does uh, IOC
4: hesitate of suspending Russia?
3: Uh, this time uh, uh, Russia is not, um, uh, sorry, the IOC is not responsible for suspending Russia. This is now in the hands of WADA because of new uh, regulations, because of new, the new WADA code. And this can be challenged by, um, by the Russians in a a case at the International Court of Arbitration CAS in Lausanne. That means officially IOC has nothing to say in that process but it looks like that they have enormous influence and uh, Thomas Bach, the IOC president from Germany, made it very clear that they are against a blanket ban for Russia, they are in favor of just punishing individuals but to be honest punishing individuals doesn't work at all because if the system doesn't work from my point of view you have to uh, you have to uh, sanction, you have to punish the system and to the system athletes belong, unfortunately. So that means at the very end from my point of view, from my understanding um, Russian athletes who might have been not uh, involved in the doping system, they must complain to their own officials, to their own officials in Russia who made this mess and not to the ISC, not to WADA, not to other international federations. The responsibility is in Russia and not uh, in other countries. Why do
4: you think uh, Thomas Bach wants to go after individuals
3: instead of Russia? That he's arguing that we cannot uh, have collective punishments because athletes are not responsible for the failure of, of, of officials. But how can you trust the system? How can you trust an anti-doping system if the whole system is failing, and that means also there's a general suspicion allowed towards athletes, because you never know what has been done with the athletes. So that is a big, big problem, uh, but I can imagine, I know Thomas Bach for many, many years, not, not personally in a good way, but I experienced him as, as, as reporting about him and the policy of IOC for many, many years. So. Uh, the, usual strategy is he is, um, he is avoiding, avoiding conflicts with big influential parties and Russia is, 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 as you know, the biggest country in the world with enormous influence in sports. And uh, there have been many, many uh, uh, strong ties between the IOC and, and Russia and the former Soviet Union for decades. Um, Strong relations to Russia, many officials sitting in important positions within international federations. Uh, As you know, there's a strong connection also to Putin. Um, And um, uh, Bach praised always Russian efforts um, uh, regarding the Olympics. Remember how he praised the Sochi Olympics in 2014. Um, some people say there are some skeletons in the uh, Kremlin basement, which we don't know about, um, which might explain the obvious mild approach uh, by the IOC towards Russia.
4: You have a long career, a lot of uh, uh, revelations about doping and you had in 2014 uh, uh, the doping top secret, how Russia makes the winners and all that, and uh, how has the sport
3: reacted to all these scandals? They had to react. They became under enormous pressure. And um, my 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 feeling is that journalism, sport journalism, is is just a part of real normal journalism. Needs to um, focus also on the other side of the medal. That's how I express it always. And um, this time. Uh, the um, revelations and the suspicion and the hints and the proofs have been so overwhelming that there was no alternatives. They had to react. But when they reacted, it showed also how weak the system is. Uh, I remember uh, Craig Reedy, uh, the water president, um, um, more or less um, out of the ra- radar, he, he had... Uh, close contacts to the Russian politicians and tried to play down the whole thing. Um, You can see that in very um, telling emails or at least in one very telling email. Um, We have seen Thomas Bach uh, and the IOC and other people in the IOC uh, in Bach's entourage who tried to play down the extent of the whole thing. That was my feeling at least and my impression about all what happened. Uh, we have seen what happened before Rio '16. We have seen the charade in Pyeongchang and before Pyeongchang when they, when the IOC officially sanctioned the Russian Olympic Committee, uh, but allowed Russian athletes to participate with um, shirts and, and 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 training suites and and uh, and symbols, um, not the Russian symbol itself, but so-called. Uh, Olympic athletes from Russia. So, where I would ask the question: Is that a neutral status? When you see everywhere, on every shirt, Olympic athlete from Russia. From my point of view, this was a very weak punishment. And as you remember, just two days after the Olympics in Pyeongchang, they have been um, reinstated. So, I don't see that that was a really harsh punishment. And I, I believe, I strongly believe that if the IOC and the whole sports world would have React, reacted in a much more severe and, and strong way, maybe we wouldn't face the situation we face now.
4: You've covered a lot of sports, swimming, cycling and things like that. What's your view about that the sports are still thriving, even though scandals? I mean, Tour de France, a lot of winners have been using uh,
3: doping, uh, but still people watch it. Why shouldn't people watch it? The sport is entertaining, so I, I, I believe that they have their right to do that. But they have also to accept that sometimes journalists come around the corner and tell them bad stories because journalists are not um, doing their job in order to promote sports or to entertain people. That is not my job. My job is to tell the truth. And that means that we tell both sides of the of the story. One story part is is the competition itself, it is winning and losing, that's the that way it is, that's classical more or less, that's how sports is. The other side is what happens behind the back doors, what's happening behind the scenes. And we have to tell that story and that's what we are doing and uh, so I don't see any contradiction that both things have to be have to be played, have to be shown, have to be... Um, Um, illustrated, have to be written have to be covered by television
4: In in Sweden we often cover doping in other countries but we don't always believe that Swedish athletes use uh, illegal
3: substances What's your view of
4: Sweden and Swedish athletes? To be honest, I'm not
3: so much involved in Swedish sports so I can not really judge it seriously. What I would say more in general is that um, doping is not a mainly a question of mentality or a question of good or bad people. It belongs to a system. so uh, You have to see the framework in countries. If you have an autocratic country for example which allows officials and functionaries to work secretly behind the curtains and you have better possibilities to do doping than in other countries and in in countries in western or northern Europe we have more let's say more democratic structures we have more control from the outside we have more serious and and critical media uh, accompanying sports I don't say that 100% of the media are doing that, but at least more than in other countries. There's more public debate about doping, so that makes it maybe more complicated, and more risky to people to, to manipulate, to cheat in sports. In other countries like Russia, like China, for example, uh, I see um, big loopholes for, for people to, to, to escape, to run away with doping. and. Um, I see the, the risk of a big cover-up in these countries bigger than in other countries. So that it might explain why in some countries we don't have so many do, uh, doping positive cases, in other countries we have them. But I would never say that Swedish people are better people than Germans or Russians. That is not the case. Uh, and also the opposite is not the case. What I want to say is it's not a question of personal characters always. It's also a systematic question. What sports gives you, what allows you, how it is controlled. That might make a difference.
4: How do you avoid being dil- disillusioned by sports?
3: I'm disillusioned, disillusioned by sports. <laughs> I don't need to be a fan. I'm not a fan, I'm a journalist. Yeah, and I see I see the, 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 the bigger picture. And for me, the story of doping And the history of doping is more more or less also a story of cover-up, maybe even more cover-up than doping itself. Because if you see the history of sports for decades now, then you see individuals who have been caught, cheaters, and then you see the uh, big headlines in newspapers, this guy is doped, this guy is, is caught. But this doesn't explain the whole story, because for doping you need always people who cover it up. And if you see the East German system, if you see China, if you see Russia, if you see also Kenya nowadays uh, and maybe other, country, under con, un, other countries, there have been many people who, who covered up the system, uh, doping and who helped the athletes to manipulate. So we talk about systematic things. And why did that happen? It happened because if doping stays, remains undetected, everybody has a benefit. The athlete himself, higher. Um, uh, Sponsor contracts, more money um, um, uh, as a winner of a competition, more prize money, more awards. Uh, That means also for the uh, the sports agent, for the manager, he has more uh, benefit because he gets a, a certain percentage of the money. Good for the organizer of an event because he has more spectators in the stadium because the sports is more attractive. Good for him because he gets more sponsors because the TV time, TV airing time is longer. So all the advertisement in the stadium um, will be seen longer. That means they can sell their products better. Everyone has a benefit. The sponsors. Uh, uh, have, a pro- have a profit Tele- television ratings getting higher so they can sell their commercial, um, TV commercials uh, uh, at higher prices. The federation gets more money from the state, has more sponsors, everybody has a benefit. The doctors, the trainers with safe contracts uh, working contracts the physios, everybody if it stays undetected that means it's a win-win situation for everybody But now imagine uh, an investigative journalist comes or a state prosecutor or a police guy and they expose doping. Then the win-win situation becomes a lose-lose situation for everybody because everybody loses. So I ask the question, who has the real interest to expose doping? If you see that, let's say, that chain of dependencies, I would say... At the bottom line, there is no real interest by by federations for decades to to challenge doping seriously. The best thing for them is to avoid the public debate about doping. That helps, and that is a win-win situation for everybody. And so, I have also my always my doubts to believe that people in federations have really a really serious interest. To, to, to challenge and to fight doping because it's not good for the business.
1: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Both analysis of the urine sample have proved it to be positive. The player Diego Maradona of
3: the Argentina national team has therefore violated the provisions of the doping control regulations in the match Argentina-Mandere.
4: Även om Diego Maradonas dopingavställning vid VM 1994 ruskade om fotbollsvärlden rejält så ledde det knappast till att dopingfrågan hamnade högre upp på dagordningen. Snarare används händelsen som ett exempel på att FIFA hade dopingfrågan under kontroll. Och som brukligt när fotbollsspelare dopat sig avfärdades som ett enskilt fall snarare än ett tecken på systematiskt fusk. Och den inställningen lever fortfarande kvar, trots att det finns starka indikationer att klubbar som Juventus och Marseille sysslat med just systematisk dopning under perioder. I work uh, mostly with uh, football and uh, sometimes there's a discussion that there are not that many doping cases in football. Some people say it's because FIFA and WADA don't really work together. What's your view? since there are not that many cases.
3: As you know, football is a very, very rich sport. Billions and billions and billions of euros and dollars are circulating around the world, around the globe. So they have enough money to do good doping testing. In fact, FIFA has has improved, but we are far away from a really effective good doping control system in football for example one example the regular doping testing in football the regular means that at least until 2018 and i don't know the current data but only 10 percent of the regular doping tests have been done on epo so that means 90 percent of regular testing is not done on epo and you know that is very important for endurance and you need endurance also in football. So that explains you, for example, why maybe not so many people uh, are getting caught. On the other hand, you have to say that um, football is also a doping sport and people who claim that doping has no effect in in football, they have no idea. And this is only- What would be the benefits? It's very easy because uh, you need power and endurance if you have for example in minute 90 of and of a soccer or football game you need to run from the midfield to to, to the i don't know the english word to the area of where the where, uh,
4: penalty area
3: yeah penalty area you need to run very fast and uh, if you have a pulse of 180, then it's not so easy if you have only 130 or 150. So with EPO you can improve your uh, endurance uh, capacities. So it might it makes sense. And if you have a lower pulse and a lower heart heartbeat, uh, it allows you to to be more focused, more, more concentrated. You have more power. You have more capacities. So you can dribble better, you have better technical capacities, which um, um, you have to have anyway, but if, if you are in a good, healthy and, 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 and condition in, in football, it helps you. It helps in every sport. So also food doping makes sense in football. Yeah, If you have more power, then you can jump higher. It's very easy. And uh, so there are a lot of good and easy explanations. And uh, the history of, of doping in football makes clear that people use doping. Uh, look at Juventus-Turin, look at Olympique Marseille. Look, I cases in, in Brazil and South America. There are a lot of cases, but they are not discussed so much in the public domain.
4: How come, uh, how come that football as an industry has kept doping at arm length distance?
3: Uh, as I said, it's not good for the business. Yeah. Doping is destroying the business model of modern high professional sports, not only in football.
4: Uh, when uh, before the world cup 2018 the swedish uh, squad was tested by fifa and, and the goalie who played in france said that in two seasons in the french top division no doping tests that's typical that explains a lot but you uh, had uh, a story before the world cup in 2018 about a russian player who then didn't make it on the squad that he had come been off. yeah that he had been uh, taking doping how come that wasn't bigger story and that FIFA didn't grab a hold of it.
3: As I said, to talk too much about doping is not good for the business. That's what I can say. It's not the main concern. The main concern that the party goes on. That's what they want. And doping disturbs the business. And so anti-doping also, and doping headlines even more. It's not in their interest because they want to run the show. As every branded said regarding the Olympics, the show must go on. It was another context, but it's it's more or less fitting also to this issue.
4: How come that the WADA, uh, who regulates the doping controls, and the FIFA don't work that well together?
3: Because uh, that's what I can only speculate. But maybe they don't want, and they take a too deep look into their books. But <laughs> I don't know.
4: You were. Uh After that show you or story you did about the the doping in Russia for World Cup 2018, you first didn't get a visa for the World Cup, then you get one, but you never went. How how was the situation? How was the reactions from Russia towards you?
3: Um, I was asking in early 2018 uh, on behalf of ARD for a visa, and it was granted to me. And then in May 2018, when I was more or less ready to to, to travel. I was about to leave Germany, more or less, in a couple of days. They called me and told me uh, I shouldn't travel because they will not allow me to get in when I'm at the Moscow airport, so I shouldn't fly. That that came from the Russian um, embassy in in Germany. And they more or less excused and said, sorry for this, but uh, obviously some people uh, um, have... um, have said that this uh, visa is not valid anymore. So um, that's, that was the beginning of the story. It, it means for me, some Russians, because of my coverage and later it was confirmed that this was the reason, didn't want me to to work during the World Cup in, in, in Russia. But this was really very embarrassing, embarrassing for the Russians because obviously there have been two different parties working at the same time in different uh, um, directions because uh, some people in Russia obviously didn't like what I was, was what what I was doing for years, with respect to Russia. And other people knew that there have been very strong regulations set by FIFA that every journalist has to be allowed to le- to enter Russia during the World Cup. So the, at a later stage, they granted me the visa again, but told me it's only temporarily for the FIFA World Cup. Uh, but um, later, ARD, uh and. Um, Some people, let's say in the German security area, coming from the Federal Office of of Criminal Investigations in Germany, they said that it might be not a good idea to travel uh, to Russia for security reasons. So uh, later ARD decided that I will not go, I don't go to Russia.
4: How is the situation with threats today? I mean, you have security with you when you travel?
3: I don't want to comment that publicly.
4: Looking into uh, IOC, uh, which has been reformed, and uh, also FIFA say that they have been reformed. What's your view of these organizations? Have they
3: really been reformed? I don't want to comment too much on FIFA because this is not my my, my working field, Um, at least not with respect to the changes within FIFA what I can say about the general structure of Olympic sports um, for decades, and that means we are coming to the Olympics or we are coming to the inter- international federations in general, I would say that we have a lack of democracy in sports that eth- the athletes' rights are not represented in the way it should be, because athletes are the core of sports, without athlete sports it wouldn't work. I know all um, this, um, yeah, so-called Um, important speeches of people like Thomas Bach at opening ceremonies of Olympic games, for example, or other opportunities where they claim always that athletes are um, the most important figures in the sports. I don't see that this is reflected in their um, representation within sports. I see it from a different perspective. I think athletes who are uh, training every day 8 or 10 hours, who spend, uh, let's say, a quarter of their life um, only for sports and really spending very much time and efforts into sports in order to represent their country. They do that because they want to do it, but on the other hand, there is a lot of pressure on them. And um, um, for years, they don't have any other things to do, they have to fully focus on sports, there is no real education possible at the same time in many countries, for many people, for many athletes, they don't get a real financial benefit for that, and I see that that this is like it's like a relation between, let's say, people in a, in a company or in an enter, enterprise, in a factory, let's say, this is where they need a union, they need someone who is repre- representing them independently. Independently, independently, and not within the sports system. But at the moment, it looks like that all the athlete representatives are under the umbrella of sports. Not all of them, because there are new developments currently going on. But in general, I see that that it doesn't work. You need to get independent athletes' representatives outside the sports federations in order to be able to um, to represent and to defend your rights as an athlete. And we are at the beginning, from my point of view, of a new development in sports. And it's very interesting to watch that and to see that how it, how it's getting more and more independent and how much pressure is now on the IOC to deal with that new issue in sports.
4: If you uh, look at um, uh, sports using, being used by countries like Qatar, Saudi Arabia, China, kind of like sports washing, how could uh, federations or IOC or FIFA or UEFA, how could they keep uh, those regimes at a distance?
3: As you have seen in the last couple of years there have been Developments which I don't believe that they are good. You can say on one hand that the IOC and FIFA has an interest to go to countries where they have never been before. That means to to open new markets and uh, also to 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 bring uh, their sports to a really international global audience, which is from my point of view understandable. What I don't understand and what I don't respect is that they talk about human rights, they talk about individual rights, they talk about let's say, the freedom of individuals and uh, FIFA has now adopted his, uh, its, its rules, um, also with respect to human rights. Um, the IOC is also under enormous pressure, but it looks like that it's for them ten times more easy to go to countries where you don't have a democratic system, where you don't have referendums, where you don't have long bureaucracies for years in order to make things happen. It's getting it's easier for them if you have things more under control, so to go to China, for example, Um, or um, to go to Qatar um, or uh, to other similar countries with a lack of democracy, at least from our European perspective, that makes things for them easier. So you see, or I see, a clear contradiction between between what uh, they're claiming and um, what they're doing. And one example is uh, the recent uh, athletics championships in Doha where you have seen people Um, uh, more or less collapsing during the marathon, even at midnight, it was obviously very hard for athletes to compete under these conditions. And if you, for example, see that um, um, the FIFA World Cup was awarded to Qatar um, uh, several years ago by knowing that it's completely impossible to do football um, a tournament uh, within the summer period in Qatar. And they obviously um, um, said, uh, we don't care and we do it. And, and then afterwards they discussed it and, and, and uh, finally they postponed it, postpone it to, to the winter season. Uh, it's for me, it's just shocking that people who really have enormous responsibi- respons- responsibility are not able to make uh, reliable uh, to take reliable decisions.
4: Who would you say is responsible to change this direction? Is it sponsors? Is it TV companies that you and TV, I represent?
3: TV town companies have the right, have the possibility, let's say, not the right, the possibility to do that because we pay with with our TV rights that they can do their, uh, their business uh, without TV rights um, um, Uh, And uh, the enormous prizes, we have to pay for that, Uh, the IOC and the football wouldn't be able to do that what they are doing. It's not only advertisement, it's TV rights. That's a big market. So there would be, let's say, a leverage in order to to make uh, changes within the sports system, but... As I said, they are always dependents, and also TV um, networks are very much interested in high ratings. They want to have sports entertainment, so uh, to a to a certain degree, as uh, they are sitting the same boat as the IOC and and FIFA, and that makes it complicated. We have a clear conflict of interest. I say we are journalists, uh, even if we as TV people pay TV rights, we haven't. We have nothing to do with these guys. We are not partners. We are not partners. We are maybe moving at, to a certain degree in the same direction when it comes to presenting um, um, a, a sports event. But we have different interests that we need to have different interests. And uh, I am really strongly um, r- refuse any attempt by sports federation's Um, and that happens more or less regularly uh, to say that we are sitting in the same boat we are not sitting in the same boat
4: it's kind of interesting you were a commentator of swimming and you were kind of critical of how your TV channel didn't take doping seriously enough and you kind of left How, how was that going against your own company in a way
3: I was a swimming commentator, that's co- correct. I was I was part of the entertainment industry for a, s- a couple of years. Um, I had a different approach uh, in my mind, but I didn't expose it, let's say, this way. Maybe I was too young, maybe because I thought at that point I have to play the game with the others. But I became more critical, and when I be- uh, started to criticise Uh, the way we are covering sports, I had a lot of resistance in in my own company, and I realized more and more that this is not the way I want to do that anymore. So in 2005, 2006, um, some other journalists created, founded a network of critical sports journalists in Germany, and I was uh, a member of this group, and one of my emails, which I wrote internally in that circle, um, more or less confidentially was uh, published from somebody, uh, not with, not deliberately, but it was really, believe it or believe it not, uh, it was a copy and paste uh, uh, mistake, but with a big uh, consequences for 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 me, and at the very end, good consequences I have to say, but at the beginning, bad consequences because. Um, Uh, At that point, we had a completely different coverage in German television uh, with respect to uh, background um, reporting, there was more or less nothing and more or less we promoted uh, cycling in Tour de France, for example, we have been uh, not critical enough from my point of view uh, with respect to FIFA and the um, FIFA 2006 World Cup in Germany, there was no real critical reporting on that. Um, And I criticized that in one of these emails. And ARD at that point, as I said, was very different compared to nowadays. So um, they sued one really very open critic uh, in Germany, a a guy from Heidelberg, a professor who was always fighting for anti-doping in Germany. And they sued him. And said, you cannot say that uh, about ARD, that you say we are not really, um, or we recover or we sh- shut our uh, eyes towards doping, so um, or close our eyes. So um, he, said, um, he said that, and they sued him. And then there was a court case, a court hearing, and in, 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 I think it was in Munich. And then he, he opened his briefcase and took out my email and said, look, you have... In your own company, you have someone who is, was is, uh, confirming what I say, and that, that was that was for them, not very nice. And later, later they, they decided uh, that I am not a swimming commentator. Commentator cannot be anymore. They said there have been other arguments because they had a very good live commentator. They wanted to re- replace me because he was now in ARD. But the other reason was, and I guess it was, also a very important reason they said uh, you know you, you can con- concentrate on doping and not anymore on that what maybe you don't like so much you cannot do you now. you can do what you like and then uh, that my feeling was clear that they don't want me to work anymore but then um, by coincidence um... the Fuentes case came up uh, with a Jan- Spanish uh, doctor yes a Spanish doctor so then then in this <clears> moment <throat> they had to Keep what they promised. That means now they had a doping story and they needed somebody who do th- was doing that. So finally, they asked me to, to, to do the investigating, uh, investigative part on, on Fuentes. And we did in 2006 and with more or less success. And then they realized okay, is this part of uh, sports journalism is not that bad, it is good it is also necessary and the dialectic development was then that in 2006 the sports sports of ARD was fired for other reasons and and then they um, had the good idea to establish an anti-doping editorial team in ARD starting 2007 and asked me to join it so that was the beginning of the work I'm doing now.
4: What would you like to see more from sports journalists?
3: I think we need um, more inter- intellectual approach in sports journalism. It's not enough to entertain. It's not enough to cover sports. It's, we, we are not sitting in the same boat. We are not moving in the same direction. Du- we are maybe at some degree, as I said, we are moving in the same direction, but that doesn't mean that we have the same interests. We need to separate clearly um, TV rights discussions from journalism. This is a completely different thing, there shouldn't be no connection. Um, we need uh, tougher uh, people. We need people who have more courage, courageous journalists and who uh, not celebrate sports because we are not uh, here for celebrating something, not in uh, journalism and politics, not in econ- economics, not in sports, not in culture, never, never, nowhere. We, journalists have only one determination, that is independent reporting, independent coverage, independent research and investigation. That's the role of journalism in societies, and that's what we need to play.
4: By celebrating, you mean in the coverage of sporting events. Do you mean that you shouldn't do that? Or
3: I'm, I'm happy that we cover sports. Totally happy. That's Because, as I said, it's a cultural good the only question is how we do that how we do that covering olympics it's it's important because as i said it's very it's very important it's cultural good so let's do that the question is how we do it and as i said commenting sports is fine but give people more information about athletes give them more background but don't celebrate them as heroes we, we, we are, that's not our role our role is not to celebrate a politician as a hero and not a sportsman as a hero. That's not what we have to do, from my point of view.
4: What What are the reactions you get from your coverage from people around? I my, my picture is that most people want to have the celebration part of sports and not the other side.
3: Yeah, but to be honest, I don't care. If we have, let's say, 80% or 60% or 90% of people who don't like what I'm doing, I don't care. Because that's not I'm not doing that because I want to to entertain the people. I don't want to to become a friend of what wh- whoever it is. The only thing what I have to do is to 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 draw or to 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 show the whole picture. That's what I have to do and even if people don't like it, that's that 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 can happen. Um, and um, that is not that's what what I have in focus.
4: The world of sports can sometimes be a little bit closed. How important is it to have whistleblowers as you had in your uh, investigation in
3: doping in Russia? Maybe I should add one thing yeah? um, knowing that maybe we just uh, represent a minority of people uh, who are really interested in sports uh, background coverage or investigative journalism um. I have a feeling that f- in the last couple of years, the, the number of people who um, appreciated what we have done and what we are still doing is getting higher and higher. That There is a certain development in the new direction. People in times of social media or fake news, whatever, they need substantial information. And my feeling is that uh, the acceptance of our work uh, was uh, became bigger and bigger and bigger in the last couple of years. So make, we shouldn't make no mistake, it's, we know that maybe the majority of people are interested more in sports as an as entertainment product, but the understanding of the background of sports is getting better, people get, are getting more critical are having a different perspective, a different view, at least partially, that explains also, for example, why in some European countries people are really reluctant or hesitant if it comes to an Olympic bid. So there are referendum against uh, Olympics in their entourage, in their area, in their region, and I guess one of the reasons is because people are getting more critical towards sports organizations.
4: Sports is kind of a closed environment, hard to get uh, access to information. How important is whistleblowers, as you had when you were looking yeah. into Russia?
3: Very important. Without whistleblowers, it wouldn't have worked. So, very easy.
4: <laughs> H- how do you uh, get people to become whistleblowers?
3: As as I said, uh, we are an, uh, a doping editorial team only focused on doping investigation. We get funded by ARD, so without this funding we wouldn't be able to do that. So we are able to travel, to meet people, we are able to gain trust um, on a longer, um, 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 let's say, um, on a long-term relationship, which needs time, you have to talk to people, you you meet them several times, you tell them what you can do, what you cannot do, you are always transparent, you are always open to them. And that's what we try to do. Um, And um, yeah, and people know that we are doing that. We are now, from my point of view, um, known, not only in Germany, but also in other countries. People know that ARD is doing doping investigation. And if they have concerns, it happens more and more that people come to us and tell us their story. So there's obviously, uh, let's say, a kind of credit we, we have in the meantime, and people more and more want to deliver information, want to provide information, if they see some failure, if they see some some, uh, mismanagement in sports.
4: The future of sports, how hopeful are you?
3: If sports doesn't get control from the outside, I don't see that there is really a substantial change. What I see is that Sports Federation Came under enormous pressure in the last couple of years, and they adopted some rules. They did some things for the good, which I have to appreciate. It's getting better because obviously the pressure, the public pressure, was too high, which shows me that the impact of investigative and critical journalism is obviously not that small. Um, yeah, so there is a change, but if it comes to the real, substantial question, who has the power in sports? Who maybe? shares power with others, then we have the crucial point. And I, I see it in the moment that we are in a situation where more and more people ask the question if the current sports structures, which are now in place for dec- decades and even more, if they are still the right tool, the right uh, structure uh, in which we should um, deal with sports matters, I'm not that sure. My feeling is that there needs to be more change, but it's very interesting to learn, Very, I'm very curious to see how the development will be in the next couple of years.
4: Thank you very much for taking your time. Thank you. Veckans avsnitt var som vanligt producerat av Olle Jonell Lindberg och klippt av Daniel Eriksson. Och vi tar gärna emot synpunkter, tankar, idéer, önskemål eller annat. Och enklast är att mejla mig. oloflund Eller skriva till mig på Instagram eller Twitter. Och då är det Olof Lund i ett ord som gäller. Stort tack för den här veckan.